toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have, then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, to possess it. Last year, we, last year, last week, we began a series uh, called Fear Not. And we started with Abraham, and we said this series would end on Christmas Sunday with Mary. <clears throat> and across Scripture, we see so many people, so many examples of people who encountered God, or they were called to do something by God, or they had something that they were facing that caused them to tremble, but God said, fear not to them. We talked about how uh, in the garden, at the very beginning of Scripture, the first time we read this word fear, was when Mary, I'm sorry, boy, let me get my head screwed on straight. If you turn to page one of your Bible, you will not find Mary. <laughs> i just tell you, you might find Adam and Eve. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sin and they took the fruit uh, one of the first things that happened was God came looking for them and they were afraid for the first time in their lives and so he said that fear was born of sin in that moment and it entered the world in that moment and God called out to Adam and Eve and they replied we're hiding because we're afraid and ever since then, through the pages of Scripture, the most frequent command from God to people is, do not be afraid. It's as though God is trying to counter what happened in that moment, is trying to take back what hell had stolen in that moment. To restore our confidence and our trust in Him. To help us leave fear behind so it's little wonder then that Jesus talked to his followers, those who had listened to him and said, 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Last week we talked about uh, Abraham and his fear for the future. And we dealt with our fears for the future. If you missed that one and, and fear of the future or fear for future security or fear for your kids or for your marriage's future or for um, you know, your retirement years or whatever, the, whatever it is that you might be dealing with, if that's something that uh, keeps you up at night sometimes, then you might want to go back and listen to that one through our podcast or our website or on Facebook. Today, though, we take a different look and we look at a famous story, one that's taught in Sunday school from a very early age. All the kids, you know, love to learn about Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and it's just such a, a good one that, uh, you know, you can have them march around the room and all that kind of thing. So if you grew up in church and grew up in Sunday school, then you probably grew up hearing about this story like, like my kids do. We're familiar with battles. We grow up learning about battles, not only in Sunday school, but in school school. Uh, one of my favorite periods of history as, uh, when I was growing up was the Revolutionary War period. Uh, it seems like a long time ago, but it's not actually that, that long ago. In fact, I just found out recently that there is a guy still living, at least as of this video I, I watched the other day, that's actually the grandson of a guy who was born during the Revolutionary Period, and one of our former presidents, John Tyler. And so President Tyler remarried when he was older and his first wife died, and he had a bunch of kids with a young wife that he married later. And one of those kids grew up and did the same thing and had their last uh, living son when he, they were in their 70s. And so somehow this this president of ours that was born in like 1780 or somewhere in the early, you know, late 1700s uh, still has a living grandchild. Not a great grandchild, grandchild. And that's pretty incredible to think. Uh, so it's not so long ago, the revolutionary time period, but, uh, you know, we read battles of that time period. It was just fascinating to me for some reason when I was growing up. One of my favorite battles that I've heard about from that period is one that's not talked about as much, and it's uh, called the Battle of uh, for Fort Sackville or uh, Vincennes. It's a place that's on the Indiana-Illinois line today, and you can go and see a monument kind of to this famous battle that took place there. At that time, that was the middle of nowhere, but there was a fort there that was held by the British, and uh, they controlled the frontier because they had this strategic point. Well, there were frontiersmen living in what was called the Ohio country at that time, north of the Ohio River, in that area that's now Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, all that. Indiana, Illinois. I know my geography. I'm good. So, uh, they were living in this area, and they knew that come spring, if the British held this territory, uh, then the Native Americans who were allied with the British would be giving them a lot of trouble in the spring. They'd be raiding. Things, tension was high between the frontiersmen and the Native Americans and the British, obviously, when you're at war with someone. And so they were at danger, and their families were at danger. And so a guy named George Rogers Clark put together 170 frontiersmen to go and take back this fort. Now this fort 
was being held by a British governor, uh, the governor of Detroit at that time, and he had a few dozen regular soldiers, as in trained British soldiers. He had 130 militia with some training and 350 approximately Indian warriors that he took down to this fort. And these 170 frontiersmen decided to go and try and take it from them. I mean, just think about that. Like, you're way outnumbered, and you have, uh, they have a fortified position, and you have no training. But these frontiersmen are a different kind of breed, if you think about what it takes to go out and live in the middle of nowhere uh, with Native Americans that aren't happy you're there. And, uh, you know, you're just out there on your own. I mean, they would build stockades with their own bare hands and that kind of thing just to have some safety to retreat to oftentimes. But these guys, I mean, living out in the elements, living out in the sticks, uh, you didn't eat unless you hunted it down and killed it yourself. It was, these guys were not your typical citizens, perhaps. Uh, they weren't city boys. <laughs> but they had to march 200 miles through you know, a northern winter. In fact, one of the reasons that they had success in this was because the governor, the British governor was like, there's no chance that we're going to see any action until this weather breaks. So we might as well just sit here and stay warm and wait it out. And so they marched through all this territory and it also rained an unusual amount in that that winter. And so uh, at the end of their 200 mile march, they had to cross a flooded plain up to their chest in water in the freezing cold. And that meant that they had to carry everything above their head that they wanted to stay dry, like guns and ammunition and, uh, you know, I mean, powder. Um, so a long march across there and then the final stretch. And by the time they arrived at evening, they were still chomping at the bit to fight. I think I would have just passed out and died. But they got there, and there's this famous painting of, uh, if you can tell kind of what's happening, you've got all the British that are lined up in neat rows there, and then you've got the frontiersmen that are just kind of hanging out (laughs) in a mess, and they're at George Rogers Clark accepting their surrender. And they took this fort, uh, and it was made the news, and and uh, it was one of the big reasons that France decided to sign on with this is because it was just a convincing and compelling victory uh, that made them think, well, maybe these guys do have a chance. If a ragtag group of people can go in there and defeat the British, uh, then maybe we ought to help them out. Nowadays, battles are fought differently, right? They're fought with um, guys jumping out of planes and parachuting in with uh, infrared goggles on and uh, you know her night vision and they've got uh, droids that, and drones and things that fly around and, and bomb things but war is still hard and ugly and our soldiers come back battered and bruised and scarred in more ways than one and battles have always served as kind of a metaphor as well We've always used them that way to talk about our own struggles in life. I mean, everyone, if you live long enough, has felt like 
metaphorically speaking, that you had to trudge through a swamp, you know, in the winter cold, holding everything over your head. Like, you've just been through something that was like, I can't go on. But you had to press on because there was something worth it. For those frontiersmen, it was the fact that if they didn't do this, if they didn't put their lives on the line, if they didn't go through this, then they knew there'd be hell to pay for their families come spring. And for our soldiers today, many of them are willing to sign up and go because they believe if we can keep the terrorists busy over there, then maybe they won't be busy over here. And so in each case, there's something that makes it worth it to them to go and to get in the fight when others don't. And in our spiritual lives as well, this has been a metaphor that believers have used for a long time. And we inherit this from our New Testament scriptures as well, that we have a spiritual battle. And when we say spiritual battle, sometimes we just think like there's this invisible battle, which is also true. But the spiritual encompasses all of our lives. The everyday battles that you face may seem very tangible and physical, but they're also spiritual. There's more going on in the trials and battles that you face in life than what meets the eye. And yes, certainly we also have our battles against sin and our flesh that try to rule us. But if we want Christ to rule us and to reign instead, then there's a battle to be fought. There's arms to take up. And it can be daunting and some of the battles that we face seem too much for us. So into this, we come to this story of Joshua. Joshua is a guy I've just always associated with. Be strong and courageous and the battle of Jericho, more or less. Every now and then I think about the fact that he was one of the two scouts out of a dozen that went into uh, the promised land when Moses sent them to scout out the land before they took the land and only he and Caleb came back and said yeah we can do this and all the rest of the scouts said no we can't and that led to a bunch of wandering in the wilderness for years so Joshua that's his claim to fame but I noticed as I was preparing for this uh, message that Joshua had been preparing for his role of leader for a long time in fact from a very young age, he was selected as Moses' like, executive assistant, <laughs> we might call it today, personal assistant. In fact, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the stone tablets from God, this was the only person that went with him, a young Joshua. And when the first group of people came to fight against the Israelites, you know that story, maybe you've heard the story of when Moses was up on the hillside looking down and he held his staff over his head and when his arms got tired then the Israelites started losing and when his, <laughs> they held it back up and they started winning well guess who was leading the fight down on the plain it was Joshua whom Moses said pick out some guys and go fight them <laughs> I mean that's really about what it says why don't you go pick a few guys and see if you can go beat these guys 
This was a, a people who had just been slaves. They didn't have a lot of military training or anything, you know. And here comes an army against them. And Joshua was the guy. He said, go put some guys together. Give it a fight. So Joshua had some battle experience. He had watched Israel's greatest leader up close and personal. He saw Moses' habits, uh, how he would get alone with God so often. He saw his leadership style and what he learned from his mistakes and all that. So this was not an unproven guy, and yet still, it's a lot to be thrown at you when all of a sudden, Moses is dead, you're the guy that everyone's looking to, and you're supposed to lead him across another river and into a promised land for a whole new adventure. Yeah, they had been attacked by people before. But this time, they would be the ones storming fortified positions held by stronger forces. And so God comes to Joshua and he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. There it is. Fear not. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So often we read things like the Battle of Jericho. And for some of us, we love these stories. And the main thing we get out of it is that the walls came down and God is awesome. Some of us are more uncomfortable with these stories. And we have trouble making sense of, you know, why, what's God doing as this God of war that's waging war on people other people wonder kind of what's the point of it all? Why is it in there? Which I think is a good question to ask. We live in a culture that tells history for the sake of recording exactly what happened and how it happened. We record history that's it's kind of the product of the Enlightenment. That's what we do. We're very scientific about things in a way that most cultures around the world are not. And certainly most of history people were not that obsessed with the details like we are. We want to know how many men went and how, you know, how did they do it and how did the walls come down and <laughs> what did it look like and did they really go around seven times or, you know, how many, like we get caught up in the details. But in past cultures they told these stories with purpose they weren't concerned with exact numbers. A lot of times you'll find numbers rounded up. You know, ever notice that in the Old Testament it's like always 40 of this or 1,000 of that or you know, 10,000 of this. And they weren't concerned with writing down the exact number. I mean, for one, all this was passed on through oral history. And it's easier to remember a round number than a you know, 10,172. But also in their culture, numbers held significance. 
And so it communicated something that they were trying to say about it. Maybe they were trying to talk about the completeness of it, or the fullness of it, or that it was long, or that it was big, or that it was whatever. They, each number had a, a specific, you know, some of them were about perfection and different, different things that they communicated that were wrapped up in the numbers, which we've learned a little bit about, but still don't know everything of what it would have meant to them. But I share that to say that when they told a story like this, it was to communicate something, a deeper truth. To communicate something about God, something about us. Something about our relationship with other people, something about people's relationship with God. They told these stories with purpose. And that's how the early Christians read stories like this as well. An early Christian might would read this story about Joshua, and one of the first things that might come to their mind, or that would live in the back of their mind, would be the similarity, the shared name, between Joshua and Jesus. In Hebrew, the name is Yeshua, and it gets translated Joshua. In Greek, the name, the same name is Jesus, and it gets translated Jesus. But it's the same name. And they both mean that God saves. So for an early Christian, probably of Jewish heritage, these guys shared a name. And that obviously brought a lot of things to mind for them. When they read about Joshua fighting a battle. Of Joshua obeying the word and leading God's people to obey the word of the Lord. When they read it, uh, they would probably take note of how salvation happens. How does God save? What does that look like? What kind of process does that take? When they think about the promised land that was being crossed over into, they would think about their hope of a new heaven and earth, and also their immediate hope of new life in Christ. When an early Christian would think about Joshua and the people crossing the Jordan River, they would think baptism. In fact, many of them were probably baptized in that same river where Jesus and John the the Baptist would baptize people. And many of those disciples would have baptized, uh, many of Jesus' disciples, like the twelve, would go out in that river and baptize people as well in Jesus' name. And so they would think about baptism. They would think about repentance. Turning from their old way and living a new way. of Walking into new life. Being born again. Starting fresh. In Jericho, they would have been reminded that crossing that river, of being baptized, being born again, starting a new life, does not mean that life will be free of battles on the other side. They would know from this story that even though it was a moment to celebrate and you've started a new life in a new land there's going to be battles to be fought and things to be remembered they would have gleaned from this story fundamental principles of how humans partner with God to face those battles and find victory in God's mighty power these stories were more than a historical account to them. Now, early Christians 
faced a lot of hard battles. We know from reading that uh, many of them faced violence for their faith. And they fought that violence not with violence, but with love. They overcame evil with good. So in some respects they saw their battle differently. It was a different kind of battle. And for us, it may be hard to identify with that kind of battle that they faced. Though as we've talked about, we would do well to contemplate that kind of battle in our own lives. But, I think we also share a lot in common with those early Christians. You probably face battles in your life that feel like battles with your job or your income or your ability to provide for your family. They did too. You probably feel like you face battles with your health and they did too. Probably feel like sometimes you face battles with your neighbors or your bosses or your employees or your even your friends and family. So did they. But more important, more important even than the battle they faced against persecution, they saw themselves as in a battle against sin and hell. That's why they would write things like, you need to take up your armor, put on the armor of God, because you're in a battle. That's why they would write, you need to, with the help of the Holy Spirit and by His power, put to death the deeds of the flesh in your body. That's why they would say, uh, in Hebrews it says, take courage because, you know, and stay in the fight because you have not yet Come to the point of shedding blood in your battle against sin. Pointing out that Jesus did shed his blood in the battle against sin. It's seen as a battle. We battle sin that has corrupted our human race ever since Adam and Eve. And yes, the fear that accompanies it. We battle hearts that are prone to wander from the God we love. We battle our minds that are quick to think thoughts that are not good or right or helpful or true. We battle these bodies that have been enslaved by desires, appetites, lusts, passions. They've been slaves to them for so long that we've forgotten how to live free as we were designed to live. But God says... As he said to his people, Fear not your battles. In obedience you will see my power. I don't know if you noticed in that story, in that passage from Joshua, how connected obedience is. Be very careful, he said, to obey everything that I've told you. And in that context then, You'll have success. In that context, you can be strong and courageous. In that context, you need not fear. For I will go with you. And I will be with you wherever you go. 
Whatever enemy you face, whatever wall you come up against, whatever the battle, I will be with you. Just obey and you will see my power. And isn't that what the battle of Jericho is kind of like one of the ultimate examples of? I'll bet you in the history of the world, there's never been a battle fought by marching around a wall umpteen times. No one comes up with that tactic. You won't read about it in the art of war. Just march around it a while. It'll come down. (laughs) No one does that. But God says, obey me. And you'll see my power. So, things we can learn from this that the early Christians would have picked up on, I feel confident in their own battles that they faced and that we need to pick up on for the battles that we face in your life. And I hope that you can think of a battle or two that you face maybe right now or maybe a battle or two that you should be facing right now but you haven't been willing to get in the fight yet. And know these two things are true. Our battles are won by His power, not by ours. But we experience His power as obedient participants, not as bystanders or an audience. He did not instruct the Israelites to sit down on the hillside for seven days and watch. He told them to get up and march. And they probably felt pretty silly some days. They probably had doubts. They probably didn't like the jokes that the Jericho people were throwing down at them as they marched around the walls. But they obeyed and they saw God's power. And they experienced victory. And I think this is a great metaphor for our lives and the battles that we face. Sometimes we don't understand God's commands. We're not sure that we buy it. We're not sure why, you know, how a command like be pure in your sexuality, how that's going to bless our lives or bless our society. But if we obey, we'll experience His power. I want to ask you a few questions to think about where you're at when it comes to the battles of your life. Either the battles that you face or the battles that you should be facing or the battles that you maybe have been ignoring. One thing I want to ask you is are you resting on a prayer prayed long ago? Is that what your Christian faith consists of? Is it more about a transaction than a battle. A transaction that took place at some point where you came to an altar or something like that and you prayed a prayer that God would save you so that you could go to heaven and someone sold you, you know, a kind of a fire insurance policy. And you've been resting in that. I think sometimes we we do. We we offer fire insurance instead of offering a sword and a shield. I think we'd be better off to offer people a sword and a shield. 
Come join the fight. There's battles to be faced on this side of the river, but it's worth it. There's a new life that waits for the brave. Those who are willing to take it. Come on, come and get it. So I want to challenge you, if, if you took, uh, if your Christian life has been mostly something that's rested on a prayer that you prayed at some point, a decision to believe in Jesus, but no one ever handed you a sword and a shield, I want to offer you one today. Get in the fight. There's battles to be waged if you want to lay hold of the promised life. I also want to ask you this. Are you satisfied with living according to the ways of our culture instead of the ways of God? Are you satisfied with living according to the ways of our culture instead of living according to the ways of God? In a sense, when we do that, we've forfeited the battle. We put up a white flag. We just said, knocked on the doors of Jericho and said, hey, I'm not here to fight, I'm here to join. Imagine, what if Joshua had been told all this by God and then went and told the people, hey, we don't have to obey God. Let's go take Jericho. How would that have gone? We see example after example of that in the Old Testament too. And again, those stories are not just told so that you can have a historical account. They're told to communicate something true about how we interact with God. That we shouldn't expect victory in life when we're not willing to obey God. And so, if we're living according to our culture, then it would be not surprising at all if we found little victory in our life over the battles that we face. And I want to ask you one more thing. Maybe neither of those was you. But this one happens to us a lot as well. We've been taught about how Jesus can change a life. We've, taught, we've been taught about how the Holy Spirit does a work in the life of a believer. And sometimes we fall into the trap of just leaving it up to the Holy Spirit, but not being intentional to partner with Him in any way or position ourselves in such a way to experience His power in our life. And when we do that, it's like we're sitting on the hillside, looking down on Jericho, waiting for the walls to fall. Sometimes it's easy for us to do that as Christians because of what we've been taught, or just because we don't know anything else to do. We pray to prayer. It's not that we've given up the fight. It's not that we don't want to fight. It's just hard to win. And so we're waiting on God to show up and just do it. And so we're waiting on the Holy Spirit to show up and just zap us with some holiness. <laughs> if He doesn't want me to do this, He'll take this desire away from me. But when does it ever work like that? Jesus fed 5,000 people, but His disciples were busy carrying baskets around. There's always something for you to do. 
There's always something that's your part and my part when we partner with God, when we fight a battle with God. We don't get to just sit in the bleachers and wait for God to show up. Waiting, when Scripture talks about waiting, does not look like your lawn chair or your lazy boy. Waiting is about expectation. That it's going to come. So you stay in the fight until it comes. You wait. You wait on reinforcements. You wait on help. You wait on power. You wait on the big guns to roll up behind you and start raining down, you know, something serious. You wait. But that doesn't mean you're just sitting there waiting. It means you stay the course, you stay the fight. There's things that we can do to experience more of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. And we've been talking about those a lot. Sometimes we call them spiritual disciplines. They're activities, things that Jesus practiced, things that they practiced. You know, they practiced things like memorization. Did you know that they didn't have the book of the law on their tablets? Well, stone tablets. But not mobile devices. Did you know that the book of the law wasn't much of a book? It was like maybe some scrolls that they kept in a safe location. So they memorized it. And then they meditated on it. They kept it on their lips. That means they kept talking about it. So they keep it memorized. And they thought about it. Meditated on it. So that they could be careful to do what was written in it. Jesus did the same thing. Yeshua. Jesus. Did the same thing. He memorized scripture. He meditated on it day and night. Joshua and Moses both had a habit of getting alone with God. And that's when they heard from God. Not when they were busy with the people. Doing this or that. God seldom interrupts what you're doing. To have a conversation with you. You go and you sit at his feet and you wait. To hear from him. So there's things that we can do to experience the Holy Spirit's power in our life, to get a sense of His direction for our life, to know what our part is in the battles that we face. I don't know about you, but I've certainly faced battles against sin, and I still do, and God shows me new things I need to work on, and they sometimes feel impossible to overcome. It's like it's so automatic and habitual for your flesh that it's just like, how do you kick this habit? How do you stop whatever it is that you're dealing with when it feels like it has control of your life? I'll tell you, this has been my experience so far. Is that when I fight the fight, when I stay in the fight, even when I don't feel like I'm winning many battles, but I keep fighting the war, I keep 
you know, trying to memorize and think about scripture that deal with whatever it is I'm dealing with. And I keep praying with God about it and I keep asking Him to help. At some point, there's a breakthrough. And it may not even feel like in that moment, sometimes it does, but it may not even feel like in that moment, like, wow, this was the moment. But you can look back later and say, I found freedom from that. That I never thought I'd find. And it's kind of like you're walking around the walls and you're walking around the walls and it feels hopeless. But if you keep walking, one of, the, one of those days the walls come down and you see and experience the power of God in your life. And when you look back on it, you have to say, well, only God could have done that. It's by His power. Because I tried and I tried and I tried in my power and I got nowhere. But I trusted him and I waited and I kept on fighting the fight. And I can't explain it. I don't know why. But it's like, I just found victory in that part of my life. And I credit that to God. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that in your life. But if you haven't, or you haven't lately, then my encouragement to you would be, Obey the Lord. Keep fighting the fight. Don't give up. If you've recently lost a battle, start fresh. Start new. Try something different. But always keep praying. Always keep hoping. Always keep trusting. And do not be afraid. In obedience, you will see my power. I don't believe that that necessarily means perfect obedience. Again, some of the battles that we're facing are sin. But part of obeying is staying in the fight. Part of obeying is waking up every morning and putting on the armor of God. And saying, I'll get in the fight again today. Even when I feel weak and like I'm not contributing much to this thing, I'm going to keep on keeping on. Don't let yourself get to the point where you're just okay with losing the battles. Where you just say, well, the wall is too big. Might as well go back to the wilderness. Or might as well just sit here. Or might as well wait till Jesus comes back. Or might as well wait till I go to heaven. Don't ever give up. Obey the Lord the best you can. Wake up every morning and fight the fight. We're going to talk more about this next week when we talk about Samuel. And a unique fear not that God gave through Samuel to the people of Israel with regard to the sin in their life. But today I just want to say whatever your battle is, whether it is sin in your life that you need to face down, whether it's some other kind of battle that's weighing heavily on you today, remember and trust that in obedience you'll see His power so you don't have to be afraid. Keep fighting the fight. He can bring the walls down in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the promise of victory.
purchased by the blood of Jesus. God, sometimes we fail to fight the fight as we should. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd make us brave. Be our sword. Be the power that we need to overcome in our life. Fight for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.